Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Ariel Orsudo from K-Witch in Wichita, the uh, CBS affiliate. She does a, a great job covering the uh, sports scene here in the uh, great state of Kansas, covering KU, K-State, uh, Wichita State, all that great stuff. Looking forward to talking to uh, Ariel here coming up in uh, just a few minutes from right now. Joining me, as always, is a disappointed Rams fan as uh, he scored just as many touchdowns as the Rams did on Sunday. It's uh, Thomas Bridges who joins me right now. Tom, uh, you recovered yet from... Uh, that uh that loss yeah you know i i thought about it. i was sad after i was more shell-shocked than anything just because i don't think anybody figured that that was going to be the way the game was going to go but it just kind of goes to show uh experience has to do with it and it also shows that don't ever give bill belichick two weeks to prepare for a team we said that about alabama and giving nick saban a month don't ever give bill belichick uh, don't ever give them two weeks. Um, they were out to prove something. Um, though Wade Phillips did say today, he quoted his dad, uh, and he said, last year we were at the door. This year we knocked on the door. And then, and I quote, he said, next year we're going to kick that some bitch in. Um, so, you know, that is uh, reassuring, but, I'm not as disappointed. You know, I went through so many bad Ram seasons that for me as a fan, it was just satisfying to get here. Uh, and it's like a cop-out, as that sounds. You know, you try to win it all every year. Uh, the Rams are here to stay, at least under Sean McVay. Um, and I wouldn't be – I would not doubt if they're in, you know, the conference championship next year right. uh, at least. So uh, if this was the Spurs losing in the finals, I would be way more pissed. Uh, I'm not even pissed now. I'm just kind of like, you know what? It was a good season. I'm sad that it's over. The ride's done. It would be a magical season if they were to cap it off beating Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. They didn't. They got outcoached. The defense played well enough to win the Super Bowl. Uh, One of the better defensive performances against Tom Brady uh, that I think I've ever seen. Um, But obviously offense didn't play well enough to win uh, or even close. So uh, there's always next year. Yeah, there is. Uh, that, that's how I felt about KU in the Final Four. I was just happy to see them there. Uh, I didn't expect them to beat Villanova and be able to win it all, uh, but considering that team was not that talented, to get that far as they did was an accomplishment in itself. The, the question I have for you, Tom, and, and, and this is one that I think the Rams, Rams fans are just going to be asking themselves for a long time, but I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Why could they not get in the end zone? Why could they not move the football? What what was it on Sunday that held the Rams back so much to not get their offense going? So, and whoever replaced Matt Patricia as the DC in New England is uh, whatever they did was was brilliant. Honestly, from just looking at an X and O standpoint, uh, kind of how the Rams played offense all year. They did the play action, which is where uh, they were the best at. Uh, I would, even without looking at the stats, I would say the Rams, I would say 65% of the time, ran out of play action, uh, and it worked. Uh, and they ran out of the same set. They ran different plays out of the same set. They confused a lot of people. Uh, they gave Bill Belichick, obviously, two weeks to figure that out, uh, and I, I bet that only took him a week. With all the game film, um, figured that out. Figured out, you know, a, a big player, 
in my mind was Dante Hightower. Uh, he put golf on his ass as many times as I've seen in a game all season. Uh, the offensive line didn't know, you know, in the supposedly the best offensive line, uh, they were awarded that um, all season. Uh, they couldn't figure that out. Um, Dante Hightower got through uh, all the almost every time. When he went down with an injury, I was like, okay, maybe we can have something here. Um, Goff, you know, the young age showed, and Bill Belichick took uh, took that and ran with it. Uh, it sucks uh, to do that, but it just kind of shows how great of a coach Bill Belichick is uh, because an offense that everyone couldn't figure out tonight, or not ever, not tonight, but everyone in an offense – sorry, replay me that. Pause that and let me redo that. Oh, I got mixed up. I read – you know, Jones, in an offense that uh, no one could really figure out all season, you know, the Rams kind of did what they wanted to on offense. Uh, the Patriots just took that away. Uh, and it, it came down to the defense uh, making stop after stop after stop. And, and when you have Tom Brady at the helm, you can only make so many stops. Uh, and that's where that, you know, one of the final drives came through where they threw that big pass to Gronk. Uh, and then they were in the red zone. Each team was, or, you know, the Patriots were in the end zone for the first time all game, and I think that between those two, uh, between those two teams, that was the only red zone um, possession for either team the whole entire game. Uh, side note here: uh, not even because my team was in it, that was one of the worst Super Bowls that I've ever watched. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's as bad as some of the blowouts we've seen. So the Seahawks. Or what was it? The Denver Seahawks, Broncos, uh, Raiders, bad. Buccaneers back in 03. There, there were points though. I mean, this was this was throwback, grind, pound and grind defense wins championships. The Rams defense played well enough to win. Tom Brady. I think that's got to be the frustrating thing. When when I looked at this game, Tom, I said that what's going to decide this is the Rams' defensive line. If they can get to Brady, if that front seven can get pressure on him, then the Rams will win this football game. The The Rams actually did their part defensively. It was the offense that didn't show up. I don't think anybody thought that was going to be the case. You know, I told you that if Todd Gurley doesn't get going, they'll be fine because C.J. Anderson has played really well as of late. They didn't have any running yeah, and, game of and, any kind. Todd Gurley... And that was another thing. They didn't game plan for Todd Gurley. I don't feel like the Rams did. They, there was no game plan for him. Uh, they didn't play him as much as I thought. He was on the bike, and everyone thought, like, okay, maybe he's injured. I thought he was like, okay, he's not right. He came out after the game said, no, I'm fine. Um, after they said they were going to get him involved. Um, I don't think they ran enough. I, I think there were stretches um, where they could have ran it more. There was that first, like, the first possession of the second half where Todd Gurley rattled it off a 16-yard run, and then they called it back on the hold. And then after that, they just went through the air, which is, yeah, I mean, it's pretty typical of Sean McVay all season. You saw it in the Bears game. You saw it in the Eagles game. Uh, you saw it in the first Saints game. Uh, they couldn't get the running game going. And, and then to, you know, keep up with a quarterback like Tom Brady or to keep up with a quarterback uh, like Drew Brees, Sean McVay, for whatever reason, thinks – you know, I'm not an NFL coach, so I'm being probably overly critical here. Uh, but he just thinks he has to, you know, succumb the run game and then just go throughout the air to keep up. Um, and Belichick had him figured out. Now, they weren't getting the routes. They had Goff shook. 
I, I would say Goff was shook the same way the Chicago Bears had him shook on Sunday Night Football uh, in December. Uh, it was it was almost identical to that. Had the Rams been able to actually put up some points, I think they win this Super Bowl. Uh, maybe that's too obvious. Uh, but the defense did their part. If, if the Rams could have been half of what offense they put up all season, uh, they win this game. Uh, but when you give Belichick two weeks um, to figure out a young coach, a young quarterback, a young a younger team, uh, this kind of thing can happen. Like I said, the defense played their part, but the offense wasn't there. And uh, you, you can only hold Tom Brady so many possessions before he finally gets you. Right. Yeah, there's only so much that you can do at some point that it uh, it catches up to I, you. I would have rather seen a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl. I think we would be looking at about the same game that we saw uh, earlier on in the season. That would have been a more entertaining Super Bowl that could have went either way. Um, if Belichick's not the head coach and Tom Brady's not the quarterback and Edelman breaks his leg, I, I, I think the Rams would have come up. I mean, that's a lot, but. Uh, Edelman, you know, what what to say? They Brady and company nickeled and dined the Rams' defense the whole game, uh, and the Rams got away with it because the defense ended up making a stop. Uh, but it was only, you know, before too long, that's going to, you know, they're going to get a touchdown. And Brandon Cooks dropped that one touchdown. I'm not blaming, blaming him whatsoever uh, with as many points as – the Rams put up all season. There was no reason to hold on to that one uh, possible touchdown. Could it have changed the game had they scored there? Oh yeah, if they would have tied the game there, it, it'd be a whole new ball game. Uh, but it didn't. And then after that, after uh, Gilmore made that interception, it was pretty much play keep away with the Rams uh, and, and burn all the time out. And that's what happened. I think the one thing that you have to take away from this game is that Jared Goff was not quite ready for primetime yet. That Jared no, Goff was not ready young. for that it's big like, stage. It's, it's not like his 23. time yet to have that that moment. And, and, you know, when Jared Goff came out, I compared him to Joe Flacco. I said, that's who he reminds me of. And I almost feel like I, I do a disservice comparing him to Flacco now because Flacco did win on the big stage. He was a Super Bowl MVP. He has a great playoff record and and I think that you know he Jared Goff much like Flacco is right on the verge of if we ask the question is Jared Goff elite you're going to have half the people say yes half the people say no that he's just right on that line that uh it's hard to figure out Goff was not ready for this stage quite yet not saying he won't be down the road but Sunday was just not his moment he's got a lot of work to do he's got a uh, you know, really loosen up a bit and 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 find m- ways to get his guys more involved and uh, and be able to do more things. Uh, he he was very limited in uh, what he could do, uh, and, and that was disappointing because I, I thought golf was ready for that, but uh, he's still not quite there yet at a year so three for that when, uh, next to take that next step. Now, when you say when you say compared to Flacco, now when the Ravens won it. Flacco was 29 years of age. Uh, 20, or he was either 28 or 29. Goff is just now 24. Um, so it is, you know, they are similar in ways. But, I mean, Jared Goff, I don't know who the youngest quarterback to win at his all time. But 24 years, I mean, the guy's younger than I am on the biggest stage. Uh, I believe Russell Wilson and Big Ben are the two youngest, and they both won it at like 22, 23. 
Okay, so you're looking at two pretty much Hall of Famers there. Big Ben more so than Russell Wilson at this point in time, but you get my drift. I mean, 24, uh, you, you know, he's not going to be maybe as great as Big Ben. Can he lead this team to the Super Bowl? I, absolutely, I think so. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not gonna put put this on if the Rams had Cooper Cup. Uh, if, the Ram, if Cooper Cup's healthy, that's just another, you know, target that they could, you know, you know work with. Um, because at the same time, when Brandon Cooks is your number one, yes, he's good. Uh, I like Brandon Cooks, but it's not a Julio Jones. It's not, you know, it's it's not a Antonio Brown. It's not an OBJ. It's not any number of top tier talents. I, I mean, I would put Brandon Cooks as far as like number one receivers to go in the league. I would put him uh, in between like ten and fifteenth in the league for number one receivers. Um, so. Not putting it on that. Jared Goff is young. I think that was the experience. He came out after the game and said, "Hey, we get you know we ever get this blessed to get this opportunity again. I won't let this happen again." Uh, I mean, you're going against Tom Brady. You know, at the end of the day, Tom Brady made Goff his bitch uh, in ways that we've seen time and time again. Uh, Tom Brady do against yes and no, but I mean they were never on the field at the same time. It didn't affect well, one no, but I'm just I'm just saying showing somebody up, and then when you have a coach like Belichick, uh, you know that can disrupt younger quarterbacks, uh, you know, by you know throwing different sets at them, by just showing them something different, and that's what they did. The Rams uh, when they play that play action, I mean they just they they completely took that away, and and I don't think Sean McVay was ready for that. Uh, they threw some sets of golf that I don't think he had seen yet, uh, and they kind of knew what the you know they knew what the Rams were going to do before they even did it. Um, and you know, in the fourth quarter or late third quarter, Sean McVay I think figured it out. Uh, they even said it; uh, the broadcaster said it that uh, the Rams were wasting too much time, but at the same time they were trying to wait until they could call a play. Um, when the headset shut off so Bill Belichick couldn't scheme against whatever they were going to call. Right. Uh, and if that's not playing mind games, if that's not dark wizard Star Wars type that Bill Belichick's pulling, when you have to wait uh, for the NFL GOAT head coach to not be able to communicate with his team in the Super Bowl uh, to scheme against whatever you're going to run, uh, then you know he's, he's, he's in your head. Uh, And that's what happened, at least with the Rams' offense. Uh, The defense, like I said before, phenomenal. I mean, you can't ask more uh, to hold a Super Bowl Brady team to 13 points. Absolutely. You you couldn't ask more than that. That was a great performance with that Rams' defense. They did their part. Jared Goff and his offense did not do theirs. When when you look at the Patriots and Tom Brady, uh, his, his legacy in all this, uh, you know, to me, it's it's no question he's the greatest of all time. But that was no, I thought that before this game, before this so, Super Bowl, that added. Um, you know, he he and Belichick both the greatest quarterback, you know, coach duo of all time. The numbers were there. You know, the way that he's done it, he, he's not even the most talented quarterback of all time, but he's the smartest quarterback of all time, and he doesn't make mistakes. And if he does make mistakes, he finds ways to make it up. And to me, I, I don't think that this really did much to his legacy because he was already the greatest. So, uh, you know, another display of brilliance. I, I totally understand why he doesn't want to retire because he's still playing at a high level. Yes, he has slipped a little bit, but he's still making up for it. He's still getting other guys involved. 
Uh, it's a great story, and I can't blame him. This is awesome to see a 41-year-old going out there and winning Super Bowls and doing what, they, what they're doing. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I, I have to say, and this almost sounds awful to say, but I feel kind of happy for Brady that he is still balling it out there at this age, and as confident as he is, uh, keep going until the wheels stop turning. That's what I've always felt in these circumstances. People love to say, you know, oh, you could go out on top and all this. Keep going, Brady. Uh, don't don't stop until Father Time gets in your way. And right now, uh, you know, no, he's he's beating Father Time. You know, they say Father Time's undefeated. He hasn't caught up with Tom Brady yet because Tom Brady. It's just playing at a high level, and it's great to see. It's a great story. The TB12 method is working. The method to its madness is uh, is on full display with what Brady is. Yeah, it is cool to be, you know, to see Brady play this well at his age. And uh, at the same time, it's also not cool when it's against your team. Uh, you experienced that. I experienced that. From a fan perspective uh, of him beating my team, am I ready for him and Belichick to retire? Absolutely. The same way that Mark Cuban said he would be glad when Tim Duncan was gone. Um, and, th- and that is in the same way. I appreciate it from an outside perspective. If he's not beat my team, I appreciate the greatness. But as a fan, it's time for that greatness to go. <laughs> I mean, in the nicest way possible. Um, but you can't. At the same time, you almost can't hate him. Uh, you know, I, I'd said that for a while while the Rams sucked, and, and now I get it, the, the sting of death that, that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick bring to the, the teams that they beat. Uh, I, I said it for a while that the, the, they're like the Spurs in, in very similar ways because they do everything right. Uh, they're not boneheaded. Uh, Tom Brady, his football IQ is out the door. Uh, um, I mean, they just... Very fundamental, very, I mean, just in the way their offense worked, they didn't need to throw it downfield very many times. They didn't need to make anything flashy. Uh, hell, they probably ran some of the same plays that were just nickel and dime, nickel and dime, uh, just classic backyard football to get where they needed to be, and they did enough on offense to keep it away. Uh, the defense did enough. Uh, even in the waning fourth quarter when the Rams finally had something going, they did enough uh, to beat you. Uh, and as an opposing fan, damn, is that annoying. God, that is just, you know, if they just straight out beat you through a downfield, if they were better, stronger, faster, uh, and in some ways in that game, as far as the defense went, they were. But at the same time, if you look at just talent-wise, if you look at age, you know, versus age, and I know, you know, the younger people don't always win. Talent doesn't always win. Uh, it's just so frustrating to see time and time and time again. Oh, yeah. The Patriots uh, were Patriot not. Fan, the, hell yeah. The you Patriots I mean? were not the most talented team in any no. of their playoff games. In they, any were, they were the least likely to make the Super Bowl in the Final Four. They, uh, you know, as far as odds went, and it's just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. They do it again. They they were the the they were not the most talented team against the Chargers, Chiefs, or Rams, and yet they won all three games. Uh, but they were the best coach team, and they had the smartest quarterback on the field, and it showed what they were able to do. It's it's hard to hate on just the legacy and how great this is. And and all at this point, Tom says that he's not going to miss Tom Brady one bit. I, I'll say this: the the dynasty 
And the aura of the Patriots, Tom Brady in particular, is good for football and the good for the NFL in this sense, is that everybody wants okay, to be I don't miss everybody Kobe. wants to take them down and go through them, and it makes it more interesting. I'm gonna say that when Tom Brady retires, you're gonna see a drop off in ratings across the league, uh, because of what Tom Brady brings to the game. You know, non sports fans know who Tom Brady is. He's a household name. I think it won't be as bad as when the NBA lost Michael Jordan. But I do think there is going to be a drop-off because people come to see Tom Brady and the Patriots. There is something about Brady and the Patriots that people love to see. They love to hate. They hate watch, and they want to see the empire fall down. Didn't happen this time, but people love it when it happens. People loved it when the Eagles did it, when the Giants did it. It's quite the story when the empire does fall down like that. And we've been waiting for the empire to fall for several years, the same way the people thought the Spurs empire was going to fall. Uh, and up until now, it hadn't. Um, you know, they, they brought in a new empire. I wasn't sad when Kobe left, um, mainly because, and, and I think for the same reason that everybody else feels, that LeBron was already the successor. It was already put in stone that LeBron was the next, if he wasn't already the next when Kobe left. Uh, in my mind, I don't know who the next Brady would be. You know, when there was a Jordan, there was a Kobe. And when there was a Kobe, there was a LeBron. And after LeBron, I'm sure there will be somebody. Uh, but it was Peyton Manning and Brady at the same time. And after Brady leaves, I don't see a successor. I, I don't know who it is right I now. I do. I'm it's sure. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is, is going to be the face of the league, and he is the best quarterback in the league right now. He'll be that guy to take the mantle. Um, but do you he's still... see him winning more than three Super Bowls? I don't know if I do, but I do see him being the next guy to take to be the the face of the league. You know, Brady's the face of the league right now, but I think that that's going to be the next guy that steps in uh, as the face of the league. Well, we are on a very, very, very weird shift uh, here in the NFL. Like you're moving away. Obviously, Peyton Manning's been a couple of years now. Brady, Big Ben, Eli has you know fallen. He was never crazy good, but he he won. Um, you know, you can go through a bunch of other quarterbacks. I mean, we are, uh, in a sense, Jones, even for you, I know you're younger than me, uh, but in a sense, and it, and it started for me when Brian Urlacher left, but in a sense, we are losing the guys that we grew up seeing and watching and idolizing, and Brady's one of the last ones. Yeah. Uh, it's just up to the new faces in the league that we're still trying to figure out So to carry on that. It's passing the torch. You so you asked that question, who's going to be the new faces of the league? I, I would say that when you – let's just focus on the quarterback position for a second here. Uh, we, we can talk about this later on with the other position. But I think Mahomes is going to be the guy. And then after that, you're talking about uh, you know, some of these young cats like you know, you know Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield – uh, I think Jared Goff will get will be a part of that picture as well. Uh, you know, some of these other. I think those guys are the next era, the next generation. I think Mahomes is the best of them, uh, but I, I see those guys being the ones who take this. And and I think that Baker Mayfield has a chance to be right up there with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think you know he had a great rookie season. I expect him to have a really good second year. Uh, I, I think when we have this discussion of who is the faces of the league, you know, two or three years from now, I think we're going to be saying it's Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. All right, very well could. And, and 
I think it comes down to who I think it comes down to Brown's leadership uh, on as far as the Baker Mayfield case goes. Uh, I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, I agree with Mahomes. I agree with Deshaun Watson. Obviously, I agree with Goff. Uh, they kind of proved it this year uh, because it, it, and it does come down to leadership. It does come down to coaching. We saw it this year when the Patriots beat the Rams. Uh, it, it comes down to the talent of your players, but it also comes down to the quality of the coach. Uh, and maybe maybe Belichick is just the outlier. A very well could yeah, very well could be, but uh, Carson Wentz for me is still up in the air. That will be an interesting story to continue watching. Uh, does he come back from a back injury? What do the Eagles do with him? Uh, the whole Carson Wentz, Nick Foles issue uh, for now becomes maybe one of the bigger stories in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, it's just we are in this time period, and, and, and we got into this time period here recently when Kobe retired. And I, I mean, for all what it's worth, Duncan, too, uh, and just the the falling apart uh, of the big three for the Spurs. Even I, I say that as a biased fan, I just like to throw that in there, but uh, we, we come to this point in time, we come to a, a, a crossroads of where things can change very drastically and very quickly uh, with what we know. And I think right now, I mean, it's still Brady's league until he calls it quits. I'm convinced, but when he does, we are left with, someone's got a who's going to fill their shoes situation sure um and for ratings and for fans for the sake of the league uh it's very important that someone does step up and like you said patrick mahomes jared goff baker uh deshaun watson i mean those will be probably the guys but you know i wouldn't be surprised to see if someone else comes forward i mean there's always the top three or four that kind of lead the league um but, you know, after Brady calls it quits, after Breeze calls it quits, who else is left from that generation? Right. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a little Aaron bit older Rogers? now, too. Uh, he, he That's would be. crazy. Is yeah. that not crazy to think about? Right. And he's had so many injuries and such, too. So, yeah, it's it's something to think about. But, yeah. That, like, does that make you feel old to phase out Aaron Rodgers almost? Right. I mean, the guy sat on a bench for four years, and we're already talking Behind about. One of the greatest of all time came in, and, and he was in the same position uh, that Mahomes was in, and, and possibly we haven't, we haven't seen Mason Rudolph. I'm not saying Mason Rudolph is going to be there, uh, but it's a very similar situation. It is. It is, no doubt about it. Uh, one one more thing, and then we'll get to uh, Ariel here in just a few minutes. Uh, th- this talk about Edelman, uh, I, it, yes, great game he had. Ten catches, the Rams had no answer for him. But stop the nonsense of him being a Hall of Famer. He is not a Hall of Famer. Simple enough. That is That is foolish to think that Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. He was a Super Bowl MVP that had one good game. He's been a good receiver. He is going to go in the Hall of Good, but he is not in the Hall of Fame. He's never even been to a Pro Bowl before. Um, no, Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. Stop that nonsense. That's 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 stupid. Uh, I can't believe we're having, even having to have that discussion. But no, Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. He had a good game. Credit where credit's due. But no, Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. You know, you know, Edelman in my mind is in the same position or in the same context uh, that Andrew Iguodala was in when he won the NBA Finals MVP. Kind of the same type of player. Yeah, same uh, with uh, you know Manu as well. 
Uh, uh, no, no. Don't even get me started on that. Manu is is more of a player uh, internationally and in, in bounds and beyonds better compared to a football Julian Edelman. Uh, if you want to say Julian Edelman doesn't deserve the Hall of Fame, which I don't think he does, uh, if we had to put another player in front of him that we know of recently, uh, just look at the stats of what Wes Welker did. If, if Wes Welker's not getting in, then Edelman is not getting in. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just the numbers show. Uh, now, they like to compare because they're two smaller wide receivers. I get the comparison, and it's great. Um, and and I, I don't think Wes Welker ever won a Super Bowl MVP, but he was that good. Uh, he was the OG Julian Edelman, or maybe I would, you know, respectively say that Edelman is the second second tier to Wes Welker. But uh, right, he, he's a poor man's Wes Welker. Man who's getting in. Man Ginobili's getting in. No, Manu's not a Hall of Famer. He, he was only I, a three-time I, All-Star. I'll bet you a million dollars that he's going to the Hall of Fame. No, I mean, the way the Hall of and Fame he deserves, works. He deserves it. We could debate this all. We could have a whole show dedicated to this, and I will tell you time and time again, not biased. And I can guarantee you, Zach Lowe, I can, can, I can tell you that any major NBA analyst will tell you that Manu Ginobili deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. No, if, if the yes, player is up, history says when it comes to the Hall of Fame that if a player is on the line, that this they don't the get NBA in. This is the NBA Hall of Fame. This is the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yes. He's getting in just because he beat you, the USA. I mean, he's getting in. That was a horrible USA team. That, that was. I don't care. He's getting in just because of his international accolades. He, Easily. He had, the best six man of all time. Didn't win the six-man award near enough. Took a backseat role that James Harden could have took, and he could have been putting up James Harden numbers on another team had he taken that and got traded. Oh, he, he's not a Hall of Famer. He, had, he was three-time All-Star. Yes, he, he had is. some good I years. He is a Hall not. of Good guy, but he is not a Hall of Famer. I will bet my That's left it. testicle, and I'll give it to Reed. <laughs> if, if Manu Ginobili does not get in, I'll put it on my left testicle. Manu Ginobili is a Hall of Famer. He's the best white guy to ever play. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If he gets in, when, actually not if, when he gets in, we need to make a bet that you are going to wear a Manu Ginobili jersey, do a photo shoot in it, and post the pictures on Facebook and put the best one as your profile picture for a whole entire year. Okay. I'll, I'll, and 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 you're going to give away your left te- testicle if he doesn't get in. And that's if that's not it. I'll become a Jayhawk fan for ten years. Yeah. And so, I might kill myself before the ten years is up. You you, you might have to. Uh, but Manu, that, even with less miles. Right. That's a whole other topic with another day. But uh, there you have it. Uh, Manu, not a Hall of Famer. We will move yes, on. Uh, Ariel Orsudo said to join us uh, coming up. As uh, we'll talk uh, National Signing Day, uh, Les Miles and company out on the trail right away. Uh, you know they, they didn't have much time to work with, but yet made something out of nothing. And uh, Big Twelve basketball heating up as uh, K State now the leader in the clubhouse by themselves after a big win over the Jayhawks. We'll break that down with uh, Ariel Orsudo coming up next here on the Jones Report. 
Joining us now here on the Jones Report from KWinch in Wichita, the CBS affiliate, it is uh, Ariel Orsuto who joins us on the program right now. Ariel, what's happening? Appreciate you joining us. Oh, yeah, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Uh, what's uh, what's going on with you down there in Wichita these days? You know, well, we just obviously wrapped up uh, football season, so you'd like to think that it'd be the slow season, but, you know, in Kansas, as you know, it's basketball season is king, so we just dove right right back into basketball season. So, Shockers, not where they want to be this season, but they're finally starting to pick things back up, and then, obviously, we have the Jayhawks and, and uh, you know, the Wildcats, as you know. Yeah, and just saw them the other night. Fantastic game uh, down the stretch there. We'll uh, dive into that more in depth coming up in uh, just a little bit. But but first and foremost, Ariel, we we, we got to get to know you a bit. Uh, tell me about your background, where you came from. Uh, you've been in Wichita, crushing it there for a while now. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've been in Wichita almost for three years now. But before that, uh, I was I came here from a town in Rapid City, South Dakota. I was there for two years, but uh, going back even further, I'm from a Philadelphia suburb uh, in South Jersey, and then I went to school at Miami, the U, and from there, that, that's uh, that's where it started. I, you know, I, I did all kinds of stuff there. I covered the basketball team to their Sweet 16. I covered the football team through a pretty dark era, the, the Al Golden era, um, and then after that, that's when that's when it took off. I went to South Dakota, and I then I've been here for three years. So, so in a short time, you've you've been pretty much everywhere. I mean, there's not very many Philadelphians that go to the U and then end up in Wichita. No, and in fact, people are pretty surprised uh, that, I've, that I've taken this route. And they, they, the question I always get is, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> and it's, I mean, <laughs> I. To me, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you you have to start in different places, and right. this is such an amazing sports city to be in. So I, I get to cover so much stuff, and I'm so happy here. Well, and, and I got to say, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the these teams and such in depth. But Wichita, I, I think, gets a bad rap or gets ignored. I mean, that is a unique city. You know, we was there we were there for the NCAA tournament uh, last March, and I was so impressed with how much is going on, how great of a job that city did to host. Uh, the tournament last year. I mean, there, there, that for as small of a town that may be, there is a lot going on. That is a great sports city. Yeah, and you say as small of a town as it is, but it's the biggest city in Kansas. Right. If you think of it that way, and so it does get a bad rap sometimes. And there is a lot of cool stuff here. The way that they hosted the tournament, as you said, it was awesome back back in March. Um, and you know, and it's kind of funny. I actually told my boss two years, two and a half years ago, that there was no way I was coming here. And then I finally came here, my interview, and I loved it. And there was no way I was not coming here after that. Yeah, uh, I think that there's a, a decent chunk of people probably that just live in this state that haven't been to Wichita or haven't been in a long time and need to see how much uh, it's changed and how much it's grown. They've done a great job, and the NCAA rewarded them with another NCAA tournament uh, appearance here in the uh, next couple of years. So that'll be exciting and for well sure. Well-deserved. Oh, Well-deserved. Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about that. And, uh, you know, what, what, one of the things that stands out to me, Ariel, looking at what you guys do there at K-Witch, that, that sports team you guys have uh, has really turned into something special. You and Jacob and, uh, you know, you know, Katie. I haven't met Braxton yet, but I've seen some good stuff from him. I mean, you guys go all out. I don't know of anybody that covers that area like you guys do. I mean, it's really impressive the work you guys do day in and day out. 
Yeah, I mean, we we have an incredible we have an incredible team, and it's a very impressive team. That's for sure. Um, we do a lot with a little, and that's uh, that's definitely for sure. Uh, the the basis of the team is Jacob and I, and then we were very very fortunate to get Katie and Braxton involved, and and you can't forget Matt Henderson as well. He's oh, absolutely. Our, actually, He's, He's our sports star. producer. Um, he does a, he does a great job making sure that everything's organized, making sure that we are covering all of the best stuff as well, and we are able to get everywhere all of the time. And I have to thank my management for that. And they really, really care about sports, and it's and it shows, and it shows because we dominate. Yeah, and and I believe it. That's that's great stuff you guys do, and even somebody me that can't even see you guys' market can tell how good of the uh, stuff that you guys put out there day in and day out. I will say, though, when I was down there for the tournament, uh, I did enjoy myself a little bit at Emerson Biggs one evening, and and you guys were all over the TVs. Everybody was watching. Uh, I mean, K-Witch is the place to be down at Wichita. People, down at Wichita. People are watching all over the place uh, what you guys are doing. Uh, it's some, some of the top-notch stuff. I mean, you, it, it was pretty impressive. I, I was, it, it was so cool to me to see that you guys were as popular as you are down there. The people recognizing uh, how good K-Witch is. Thank you, and I really appreciate that. That means a lot. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, let's uh, dive into signing day, and then we'll get into everything else. Uh, with uh, on the KU football side of things, uh, Ariel, uh, you know, Les Miles brings in 19 recruits, 16 three stars, uh, one four star recruit, and Stephen Jones for. The last minute that it took to put this together, this uh, class, dating back to when Miles took the job in November, uh, what would what, you make of what they put together for this uh, this group uh, with not much time to, to do it? I think for the time frame, it's very impressive. And I will say that the thing I found most impressive was what he was able to flip. He flipped a few guys from K-State. He flipped some guys from other schools. He was able to take some um, some guys who were committed to other schools, turn them into preferred walk-ons at his own school. That's a pretty impressive thing to do right there because you're taking some guys who had who had committed um, their scholarships to other places and say, trust in our process and we'll we'll get you on at our school. And that means a lot. And I will say another uh, another anecdote that I that I uh, noticed this past week. I was at a coaching clinic here in Wichita on Friday, and it was Les Miles, it was Coach Kleiman, and it was um, Matt Campbell from Iowa State. The three of them were talking to local high school coaches. Les Miles had to fly in at 7 o'clock for the start of his speech. He got there on time, only was able to talk for 20 minutes, and he immediately flew back out to go have dinner with his recruits. He apologized endlessly the fact that he had to leave, but I think it actually speaks volumes that he even made it there. Rather than giving up that opportunity to speak to coaches, he got that he flew all the way in, talked to them for a few minutes, and then left. That's how important this recruiting process was. But also, it shows how much character he has that he was able to stop and speak to these other guys. Yeah, for sure. And, and I know he missed on some Lawrence kids, you know, in in uh, in Garber and Jackson, letting you know those guys getting to K State. But you're not going to win them all uh, for the circumstance that they were dealt. Uh, I, I was pretty impressed, pretty pleased with with that. And the the star power about Les Miles Ariel has been so impressive. Everybody knows who this guy who he is he's got you know two movies coming out this year alone in addition to all that he's ever done I mean uh, throughout these last couple of months it's amazed me just the household name that he really is that people uh, you know that he draws the eyeballs that he does uh, bringing attention to this program that has never seen attention like this 
Well, he's a household name at every level, and that's going to help throughout the process, and that's going to help for years to come. You can expect the first year, and by, by the first year, I mean three months is all he really had to recruit. You can't expect him to bring in these four or five-star recruits and just start running the table of the Big 12 immediately. This is a process, and I think that he did a great job with, with the hand that he was dealt. Now, going forward, I do expect him to start bringing in some bigger star recruits and some bigger name recruits, and I think he will. Yeah, I, I think he will, too. It'll be a process, no doubt about that, and they've already turned their attention to 2020 uh, as far as that goes. Uh, K-State, Chris Kleiman comes in. Uh, what would you make of what he put together with, with that group there at K-State and their situation? I think he put together a pretty decent group. Um, I think that it's a pretty interesting situation going on there with a little bit of possible turmoil uh, with the turnover of the coaching staff. You know, he brings in his own defensive coordinator. He lets he start he demotes one down to a linebackers coach. He ends up leaving to take the job at West Virginia. It seems like there's a little bit of some shaky stuff going on over there. That's something to keep an eye on at least going forward. And it's interesting to see um, some of the recruits that ended up coming, some of the ones that ended up flipping at last minute. You wonder what has to do with the coaching staff and what doesn't. But I think he did a pretty good job. And again, he he didn't have very much time either. He had less time than Les Miles did to bring in his staff or his his recruits, I should say. Right, right. The and the other thing too that stood out to me about climbing is the excitement level of this guy, the energy he brings, uh, you know, that halftime speech he had the KUK State, you know, basketball game the other night uh was unbelievable. And I think that you know a lot of people had questions about this hiring in Manhattan wasn't necessarily uh, a big name by any means, but he he's already uh, you've got a lot of people to buy into what he's selling just simply by how hard he's he's been able to sell that program in the last couple of months. It's not hard to buy into what he's selling because he's such a genuine guy, and I think that everything he says it's not snake oil. It's all it's all real, and I think that that's what guys really like. And when you know when he comes and he gives his sales pitch, they just want to be around him and they want. They want him leading them, and why not? I mean, he's won how many national championships with the Bison? Five or more than that, uh, and so that's that's not hard to want to get behind. Yeah, and it showed. Uh, they, they've had a, a lot of success the last couple of months uh, on that recruiting trail and and uh, getting that together. So that's exciting to see. So now going forward, uh, you know, we have the climate and Les Miles eras upon us. You know, with their first recruiting classes in. How are you feeling about both these programs going forward with uh, their, their new head coaches leading them and, and the direction they go and the direction of this rivalry? Uh, you know, last year, both both schools, uh, you know, K-State had a down year. K-State didn't, KU didn't meet what they wanted to expectation-wise. What do you make of both these programs going forward in, in their future? I know that they want to come out and say that they're, they're going to win, you know, each game. They, they want to take it game by game, and they're going to win, you know, they want to, their goal, I should say, is to win the Big 12 immediately. But I think fans need to realize this is a learning process. This is going to be a rebuilding process. Take it game by game and go with the process. Because I do think that both of these teams are now in a rebuilding mode. And you need to kind of enjoy the process. Enjoy these, this rebuilding. Enjoy this rebranding. And I don't think that either one of them is going to run the Big 12 this year. I think that they're probably going to be somewhere around the middle. 
Uh, and but KU, I think they have a lot of upside, obviously, uh, with this new new head coach. But I still don't see them finishing at the top. I still don't see K State finishing at the top. Yeah, it, it's going to be a long ways to go, no doubt about it. There will be some bumps along the way, uh, but we'll ultimately see what happens. Uh, let's move on, talk some uh, some basketball now. Uh, Ariel, what what what's wrong with this KU team right now? Why why is this team in the position that they are? Uh, I mean, there's a number of issues, but if you had to narrow it down, what what are the biggest concerns with this KU team right now? Oh, I think that's easy. I think it's it's well, it's not it's not easy to fix, but that's an easy thing to pinpoint. And it's it's just maturity. Uh, they're very young. They don't have any leadership. If you want to pinpoint one leader, that's Dedrick Lawson, but he's not exactly a vocal leader. They don't have anybody like they've had with Frank Mason, like they've had with Devontae Graham in the past. They don't have anyone who can step up and take charge. They don't have that anymore. Uh, if you've ever heard Dedrick Lawson talk, he, he doesn't exactly want to be that vocal leader. He wants to just lead by example. They need somebody to be a vocal leader in that locker room, and they don't have that. And Bill Self, he's really praying that somebody will be that vocal leader soon because they need that, especially on the road. Yeah, and those road games where they've struggled this year, only one road win, that being against Baylor, it seems like they've all played out the exact same way. KU leads at halftime, and then you go that second in the locker room. The uh, home team makes adjustments. They come out firing and get on a run those opening minutes and go on to win in that second half. I mean, it seems like it's been the same thing almost every single time on the road with this team. And they're not playing poor basketball. I mean, they're, they're, they're carrying out most of, of the game plans you can see you know, at hand. Like, for instance, in this last game, we saw them switch to a zone. They were able to trap K-State. That was pretty, you know, that was pretty effective. And then as soon as they got out of that, they were, it was the turnovers that were plaguing them. But that right there is inexperience. That's, that's the youthfulness right there. So they're not playing poor basketball. They're just they're playing stupid basketball, if, if you want to put it simply. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great point. Ariel Orsuto joining us here on the Jones Report right now. When uh, when you look at the Big 12 race, KU a game and a half back of the lead. K-State now the leader in this conference. Of course, they have the tiebreaker of, over KU after the win they got earlier this week. Uh, is a game and a half too much for this team to make up ground-wise? We're already over halfway through in link play. Can, can they? Is there enough time for KU to make up that ground in this league? Absolutely, because I, I, I still have them winning the Sunflower Showdown Part 2 at home. It's very hard to win at Allen Fieldhouse. And we saw how close this game was at Bramlage. So I give them, well, first of all, at a, as a home team, you get the three points in, this, in the spread. So I'm going to give them those three points. And, I'm, and I, I have them winning that one. So right there, there's your, there's your makeup of that one game. And they can, I, I think they're going to be fine. I don't know that they're necessarily going to win that 15th big, title, uh, big 12 title. But, hey, you know, there's always there's always the tournament to make that up. There's always the big tournament to make up some room. They'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. All, all the freak out and everything. Everybody just calm down, settle a bit. Everything is going to be just fine uh, with, with with this group. You move on, get ready for next year if it gets bad enough as is. Uh, looking at at, at K State, what they're doing so well, uh, th- that group uh, is a lot better than what they were even just a few weeks ago. What what changed for this team? What what started clicking? Obviously, getting Dean Wade back helps, but they had him back when they lost to Texas A and M. What changed for this team within the last couple? weeks well they're sticking to their philosophy and their philosophy is defense and they know that that they can hold they can hold teams to shooting below 
uh, if they can hold teams to shooting below 40%, they're golden, and they do that a lot. They keep teams also a lot of times underneath 60 points per game. Now, it obviously didn't happen this past week, um, but, you know, both teams were, were lighting it up for a little bit of the stretch. So, but if they can keep their defensive mindset in, in the game, that's how they win. And they win a lot that way. So they are one of the best defenses in the league. I know that a lot of people say Texas Tech is probably the best one in at least, uh, at least the Big 12, but they, you know, even in all of uh, the NCAA. I think Kansas State has a better defense, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think that's a stretch. Uh, I I, I st- think it's Texas Tech, but K State's right up there with them. Uh, they have been uh, impressive, no doubt, on on that defensive end. Uh, the, the, that senior leadership. You know, we we talked about how KU is lacking leadership. K State's got a lot of leadership, senior wise. You know, with Dean Wade, Barry Brown, those guys. Uh, I mean, they 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 lead on the court and off the court, vocally or by example, whatever. Uh, that seems to be what, what KU's weakness is K-State's strength, you could you could argue. Yeah, and you can't forget Kamau Stokes either because sometimes he doesn't yep. show up in the box. He's definitely one of the leaders in the locker room. Uh, it's definitely led by Barry Brown, for sure. So Dean Wade, you know, he's going to be one of the ones that's leading by example. Barry Brown is going to be your vocal leader. He's your he's your point guard. He's going to be the one that uh, that's leading on the court, that's leading in the locker room. He is a vocal Dude, that is exactly the guy that Bill Self wants in his locker room. Yeah, I'm sure he would love to have Barry Brown right now. Uh, no doubt about that. Ariel or Pseudo joining us here on the Jones Report right now. If you had to pick the Big 12 race as we're getting close, you know, you know, with this second half of the season upon us, uh, of who's ultimately going to walk away with the crown, uh, who, who would you pick right now if you had to you'd take one of these teams uh, in the league uh, down the stretch here, Ariel? Well, I don't ultimately believe in Baylor and their longevity, so I think they're going to start falling off. I do believe in, and I also don't believe in Texas Tech very much. I think that they are, they're a little bit faulty. I think Chris Beard is one of the best coaches in the league, um, but his team is just a little bit iffy at the moment. So I'm going to put those two a little bit behind the two that we are focused the most on. I think it's going to be Kansas State 1, KU 2. Okay, I, I, wouldn't that be something? Uh, that that would definitely uh, be wild if uh, if K State's the team that ultimately ends this streak. Uh, as far as that goes, when it comes tournament time, do you, do you trust KU or do you trust K State more to possibly make a run deep in this uh, in the postseason? You know, that's an interesting question because when it comes to tournament time, I trust Bill Self more than I trust Bruce Weber, but I trust the team that Weber has more than I trust the team that Self has. So, so go ahead. I, I think I trust K-State to make a deeper run because of the seniors that he has on his team. And, I mean, I think either one of these teams can make a bit of a run. I just don't see either one of them making too deep of a run. Right, right. If I had to choose between the two, I think I'd agree with you go with K-State. You know, guards win in March, and they have the senior guards to do so, and they did it a year ago. Uh, KU does not have those senior guards right now to uh, to make that happen. Uh, right there in Wichita, real quick on uh, Wichita State, uh, you, you mentioned they got off to a slow start but starting to put things together. Uh, how's Greg Marshall's group looking uh, as they come down the stretch there in the American this year? I'll tell you, they're riding a little bit of a win streak right now, but they are playing the worst teams in the AAC. So if they can just keep this going right now, then I think that they'll be in decent shape. They're going to need to ride this momentum into their um, American Athletic Conference uh, tournament. But 
it's going to be tough because they have a lot of losses. They're only sitting at 11 and 11 right now on the season. Greg Marshall has been very frustrated with this team because it has taken this long for them to finally come together. But hey, you know, that's growing pains. He only has two seniors on his team. The rest are all freshmen or transfers. So he has exactly the same problem that Bill Self has. Yeah, he does. And, and they were a high seed in last year's tournament. They have a Final Four appearance under Greg Marshall. We saw what K-State did last year. KU's been so consistent. I mean, it, it, it's so fun with both when all three of these teams are competitive that we have good basketball throughout this entire state. And, and it makes everybody better, more interesting with all three of these teams. Uh, good. I mean, we're very fortunate that we get all these this good basketball with uh, all three of these schools uh, most of the time. No, we certainly are, and that's and I have to say that I'm very fortunate that since I've been here, I've had all three of the teams in the tournament both years. So let's see if we can make it three in a row. That'd be awesome. That would be. That would be. Uh, Ariel, we got a little bit of time left uh, before we uh, let you run here. So, uh, what what is one thing that people don't know about you? One thing that people don't know about me. Well, they definitely know as I'm looking at them right now that I have two cats because I talk about them all the time on my Twitter, my Instagram. So it's not that. Um, hmm. What don't people know about me? I don't know, Tyler. Do you want to ask a question for me? Uh, do I want to answer this question for you? Uh, let's I said, see. I said, do you want to ask a question for me? Oh yeah, let's see. That's a that's a good que- That's a good idea. Uh, I, I know that uh, you you do the, uh, the the personal training and such. Uh, that that goes on. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 one thing that I do. I, I'm very I'm very much into fitness. So I I really enjoy that. Uh, that's just like a really good hobby that I have on the side. It's something that I'm passionate about. I always have. Um, I guess that's something that people don't know about me that my my mom um, was she was a bodybuilder and a personal trainer, and really? so it's kind of just always it's always been ingrained in me. And so I grew up just always around it, and it's it's been something that's always been like a second passion of mine. And so I would say that probably um, I'll kind of go off on this little tangent that if I wasn't in sports journalism, I would probably be a full-time trainer of some sort. Like that's probably what, maybe that's something that people don't know about me. There you go. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, that that's, I had, I had no idea before we started this interview that that's what you were, uh, that you, that's what you do uh, on the side. She, she had told me earlier this week that, Hey, you know, you know, schedule wise can't do this time period. Cause I, I, I speak with clients and I had no idea what you meant by that. And now, now <laughs> this all of a sudden makes sense. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Ariel, I appreciate the time. Where can people connect with you and follow your, uh, your great content, all the work you guys do down there in Wichita. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. So you can follow me on Twitter at K-W-C-H, Ariel, and that's spelled A-R-I-E-L-L-E. Uh, same at on Facebook, at K-W-C-H, Ariel. Um, so you can find me on both of those. Uh, and then, yeah, so you could also, you can always stream our shows, too. You can find us at kwch.com. Stream our shows if you have any interest in doing that, and I highly recommend it because, as Tyler said, our coverage is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you have my endorsement, my seal of approval, uh, as, this, as if that means anything, but... We'll, uh, we'll make it work. Hey, if they're if they're listening to your show, they must think, they must think highly of you. Or they're hate listening. One of the two. That's <laughs> more go. possible, probably. Uh, Ariel, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Ariel Orsuto for joining us here on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Let's uh, continue that conversation from what we were just talking about there with Ariel about the uh, Big Twelve basketball situation and K-State stands atop the league right now with uh, Baylor, Iowa State, and KU behind 
And in, in KU's circumstance, th- this team, I, I think Bill Self put it best after that loss to K-State earlier this week, was that do are, are they playing good enough to win the Big 12 right now? No. Are they? Do they deserve a chance at winning the Big 12 right now? Absolutely not. Last week we were talking, Tom, about how there wasn't necessarily a team that yet stood out to take the mantle away from KU, that the best thing working in their favor was the fact that there wasn't just one clear defined team, that everybody was kind of doing what KU was doing and just losing and you know messing around. Now, K-State gets a win over KU, uh, a much-needed win that they needed to. Baylor loses, and they're in sole possession of first place. That's the team to beat. We have the answer to the question we asked a week ago. The team to beat right now is K-State. They, they got through Kansas. They ended that eight-game losing streak against the Jayhawks, and they're in first place alone by themselves. The, the process kind of worked itself out. They, they answered the call. They, they did everything they needed to do within these last you know, couple games uh, with the you know, beatdown they put on Oklahoma State, handing them one of their worst losses ever. And then to beat their arch-rival Kansas in, in, in a comeback fashion, they trailed at halftime. Heck of an effort by K-State. They are the team to beat in this conference right now. Oh, of course. And, and, and it did answer the question we asked last week. Um, not only in the Oklahoma State game, which should have been an easy win anyway, uh, but beating arch-rival KU uh, while at Manhattan. I get that. But they did come back. Uh, they, I mean, they are marking all the correct bubbles um in the in the you know the so-called scantron of the big 12 they're getting everything correct so far i'm still not 100 percent set they are in sole you know they're in sole leadership of the big 12 right now uh but you know it's only february 7th 8th uh so there is still a lot left to go and 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 just after last year after we went back and forth every single week uh, and, until it's over, uh, it's not over. Um, so if they continue on what they're doing, then I could easily see K-State winning this thing. Yeah, you, I certainly could see K-State doing so. And, and KU's been without Marcus Garrett. They're you're their best defender the last couple of games. He's expected to come back for the Oklahoma State game on Saturday. But that's a big difference when you lose a player like that. We know that they're without Silvio De Souza with that awful decision the NCAA made, but they haven't had him all year. And, of course, Yudoka Azubuki being out since uh, December, late December, he's been gone. Uh, you know, those things, eventually they catch up with you. You're down three bodies. Uh, this this team is going to be shorthanded, and they struggle on the road uh, this season with only one true road win. And, you know, that, that stuff's you know, going to catch up to you at times. And so... I, I would say, Tom, I, I'm going to say it now, and I wasn't at this point all season long. You know, I've been very, very careful in saying this, but if I were to bet right now, I would say KU is not going to win the Big 12 Conference right now. I, I, that's right. what I would say on this seventh day of February 2019 that the streak is going to end uh, just because KU does not have the pieces like they've had in the past. The and they're not playing as a good unit. They don't have the leadership. They don't have you know the veteran guards that can take over a game. Right now, this team is a very flawed basketball team. And so 
you you look at K State, and when I was at that game Tuesday night, Tom, you know, as much as it pains me to say this, you know, I looked at that game and I saw just a better team than K State was. You know, Barry Brown is a guy that, you know, Bill Self, I'm sure, wishes he had right now. I'm sure he wishes he had Dean Wade on his squad right now. That is a better, more talented, more experienced team than KU is. They they play so well defensively with their lockdown defense. They can score points. They went through a rough stretch there, you know, early on in the season, losing a non-conference game to Tulsa and, you know, losing to Texas A&M a couple weeks ago. But, they figured themselves out now. I think that Bruce Weber has this team uh, playing just as good, if not better, ball that they were in the NCAA tournament last year in their Elite Eight run. So that's the team to beat. And right now, uh, I, I would say that KU is not going to win the Big 12 at the moment. No, I think that's completely fair. I would put my money on that as well. Um, I mean, you look at still the same teams. I mean, KU outside shot tech in K-State look to be the front runners. Uh, and that's weird to say because we haven't been able to say that since I was at least 13. Um, yeah, Iowa so. State. Iowa State, too. Uh, that, that that group, I think, is a bigger threat to winning the Big 12 title than KU is right now. If I were to power I mean, You're rank, hearing it from the man right here. That's, that's an honest opinion. It is. And, and you know, uh, I, I don't sugarcoat things. I, I, I call balls and strikes. No, I call it like I, I see it. and. I think K-State's the best team in the league right now. I think Iowa State's number two. I'm not sold on Baylor yet. I'm not sold on Kansas, clearly. And Texas Tech has uh, not played great as of late. But I would put the the threats, my top two teams in this league are K-State and Iowa State. I think those are the guys to beat in this Big 12. The, The question I have, though, is, as we're more than halfway through league play, has time run out on Kansas to get this done? Has Has the clock run out for this team to have a chance to win this Big 12 title. I'll, I'll say I think the clock has run out on them winning the league outright. I think that looks very hard to do now, especially with K-State having a tiebreaker and all that. You're not going to get two head-to-head wins, and you don't have two head-to-head wins against Iowa State either. I think winning an outright title is nearly impossible. But I won't shut the door yet on them winning a share. I don't think KU's going to win the Big 12 at this point in the year, but I won't rule out the possibility of them uh, at least sharing the league down the road. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm not going to rule it out, per se. No, I don't think you can rule it out. Uh, just how with the top top teams in the Big 12 are. Uh, I mean, at least at this point on February 7, 2019, I don't think you can rule it out, but it's looking very bleak right now. and it, It's not to say uh, that KU couldn't, you know, at the beginning of the season or even three weeks ago to say that KU couldn't win the Big 12. It's just kind of come down to circumstance. Uh, and, you know, every now and then a team will face uh, an unfortunate circumstance. And with losing Azubuki and the whole thing with the NCAA, uh, it, 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 I, I'm not going to blame it on that because I'm not a huge KU fan, but if you want to blame it on something, it you know it, it comes down to every team eventually uh, faces unfortunate circumstances, and and maybe that's not the whole season for KU. Maybe they could play better. Maybe they don't have the players. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, after 13 years, it's coming down to unfortunate circumstances. Right. Uh, as if if Azubuki's not out, I, I would not be remiss to say this could be a whole lot different. Oh, it would be. 
That that I think that that right there is when things really came to a screeching halt for KU is when Yudoka Azubuki went down. That was ultimately when this season changed. Was that right there? I think there. so too. And and you know that happens. You know that that's the other thing in this streak. KU's dealt with a lot of luck. That you know the injuries they've dealt with have been fixable. They've been able to work around those things. This one just seems too big of an obstacle for them to overcome. And, you know, it's been a good run, and they're still competing, but, you know, this team has a lot of holes right now. They're not winning on the road. And you got to win road games in this conference uh, to win the Big 12 championship, and right now it doesn't look to be the case uh, of where they stand right now. Moving on, uh, Bob Stoops headed to the XFL. You know, I, I never ruled out the possibility, Tom, that, that Bob Stoops would ever – come out of retirement. I never completely ruled that out, but I did not think that it was going to be to coach in the extreme football league owned and operated by Vince McMahon. Uh, That's not how I saw this coming together, and and it still blows my mind that, yes, Bob Stoops did come out of retirement, and of all things, it's to be the GM and coach of the Dallas XFL team, but the more I look into this, believe it or not, it actually kind of makes sense. The season's only two and a half months long, and he's going to make a pretty decent amount of money for that short amount of time. It's in the spring. It's in Dallas, so he still gets to live in Norman and just go back and forth, and he gets to see all his kids' games at OU. Gives him something to do. The more I think about it, the more it doesn't seem that crazy, actually. Yeah, it doesn't seem crazy. I mean, when it was released, though, that's the hottest story of the week. Uh, that was insane uh, because it wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't going to expect that. It just kind of happened upon that. Um, and I always thought that, you know, maybe he's finally done if he didn't take another job. Uh, he never tried the NFL. So for him to try the XFL, maybe it just kind of fits his schedule. Um, because, like you said, it's not a whole too long of a season. Uh, it's kind of the first year of an experimental thing. It's not set in stone like the NFL is. He's getting paid a good amount of money. Uh, maybe it's not so crazy, but when it released, though, I think everyone kind of went, oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it's like a hobby job of some sorts. It it gives him something to do in the meantime. Uh, Steve Spurrier is going to coach – in this new American Football Alliance, which uh, starts up here in uh, just a couple weeks or so. And Steve Spurrier apparently told Stoops that, hey, I'm only coaching a couple months. It's in the spring, and it's pretty laid back. This is the greatest coaching job I've ever had. And I think that Bob Stoops, it was a unique opportunity that Bob is going to be the face of this league. You know, and it's not going to hurt his legacy. No, you know, I if he mean, loses every game, it's not going to hurt him. Right. It's the, he's the Why face. He? He's the face of the league for crying out loud. I mean, people are going to it, it brings instant credibility to the XFL that they brought in Bob freaking Stoops. So, I mean, it, it yes, it sounds bizarre and odd, but the more I look into this, it just makes sense. And so, I I think that that was a unique opportunity that no one was going to give to Bob Stoops of, you know, if he took an NFL job, he would be just another coach. I mean, there's much more, you know, known coaches. Same with college football. I mean, yes, he was an elite coach, but 
He wasn't getting the attention that Nick Saban or even Urban Meyer was. Uh, this, this XFL situation, he is the face of the entire league right now. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and like I said before, I'm not going to do anything for or against his legacy. If he loses all eight games, it's not like we put him any higher or any lower uh, in the coaching carousel that is the Hall of Fame of coaches. Uh, if he wins every game, it's not, in my opinion, going to add to his legacy any more than it would uh, as it stands. And doesn't Bob it's Stoops just- joining this league, I-, I mentioned the credibility factor, all of a sudden isn't the talent pool going to be much bigger than possibly it was before of guys that see, hey, Bob Stoops is coaching in this league. Maybe a bunch of Oklahoma players or Big 12 guys are going to show up now that would not have otherwise uh, because of you know Bob Stoops being there, you know, I mean, not only do you bring credibility and attention, but I, I think Bob being there helps the entire league, not just his group uh, of guys that are going to want to play in this whole deal. Uh, you know, the the games on television uh, are, are going to be one to broadcast more. I believe they're going to put about two games on uh, network television on ABC and Fox. Uh, not to mention uh, the uh, cable networks like ESPN and FS1 and such. I mean, Bob Stoops is uh is is carrying this league on his back and, and he's going to bring a lot to it. I th- I think the big deal is that player talent is uh going to come a long way with Bob Stoops being involved now. Yeah, I think so and in in that way adding Bob Stoops uh it's a little different, maybe not so much so that we couldn't compare it to the big 3. Uh you know, we're taking talent that is still uh and if uh, you know wouldn't be remiss to say that it's not NFL-ready talent uh, into having a coach that's not that far past retirement. I mean, you look at the coaches for the big three uh, in, in their past uh, their past NFL Hall, or NBA Hall of Famers that don't really have any coaching experience. Uh, and, but, you know, in the first year, it feels maybe like a big three, but now you're getting this on network television you get names like Bob Stoops, who you know went to retirement not too long ago. That's a household name in all of football. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think it, like you said, brings more credibility to the XFL. Not just like we're trying this out, hope it works, let's make some money off this. It's not a just sh- joke, right? Uh, I mean, when you get Bob Stoops out of retirement, this is a real fucking deal. This is a real thing. I mean. Coaches don't just come out of retirement. Granted, it's a short season. He's getting some good money. Coaches don't come out of retirement just for not. Um, so Bob Stoops is a credible name. He's been there for a while. He knows what he's doing. I'm sure he's a, a, a decent businessman. Uh, so to bring him out of retirement to, you know, you know, from OU, granted Lincoln Riley was, now we know, obviously the right successor. Uh, but to bring him out of retirement after just kind of his whole his situation with his dad, you know, coached forever, got out of coaching and then died, um, wasn't, in, you know, in a, like, unable to enjoy retirement. So for Bob Stoops to forego his retirement, to do something else, to go into something new that's not set, uh, from the outside looking in, that makes the average person – or at least myself, think, hey, they've got something here. I feel like we're going to look back on this because I I don't know how long the XFL is going to last or how long Bob Seuss will do this, but I I totally 
am going to go, I have this picture in my head of saying, you know, years down the road, remember that time Bob Stoops coached in the XFL? Um, you know, I, I feel like that's just going to roll off the tongue so easy. You know, you, you remember that, you know, when Bob tried that out, you know, how that went? Because um, I feel like that's what it, I, I don't know how long term this is going to be. This could be a year deal, it could be five, could be 10 years, who knows? But I, I don't know what how long this is going to go per se. Uh, in regards to this, but it, it does seem interesting. I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, last point on this with Bob Stoops is that he, he's got a lot going for him. He's made all the money out there. I mean, his wife has made millions in working for Mary Kay. I mean, they have plenty of money, so money is not something that they that he needs. It's not something that he needs because he has to work by any means. He's made plenty of cash. This this is not a bad life for Bob Stoops that he makes over $300,000 as a consultant for the athletic department. You know, some cush job, you know, he goes golfing with those with you know Joe Castiglione and Lincoln Riley and those guys. And his kids are playing at OU. He gets to see every single one of their games and now he's doing this XFL thing for a couple months, getting to go down to Dallas. And he's going to get to coach some of his former players and stuff like that. But Bob Stoops, for post-retirement, he's not working in TV or anything, but he's got a pretty good life uh, post-OU uh, that, uh, that's worked out really well for him, really, uh, since uh, his time away from uh, the University of Oklahoma as head football coach. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, he's living his best life right now. I mean, he doesn't have any obligations. There's not any expectation uh, I mean, look at look at it this way. If he went to the NFL after going through retirement, he would have expectations. He would have, uh, you know, things set in place that say, hey, we need to do this by this time in order to keep your coaching job. There would be more high stress. At this time, this is like a damn near wreck league for him. I, I, I mean, there's no expectation. Uh, if the XFL works, great. If it doesn't, you know, that was a cool experiment that I got paid $500,000 for for three and a half months. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's living his best life. I'm almost half-ass jealous right. to, to, to imagine making that kind of money in that amount of time coaching an experiment. Tom, we have to make it out to an XFL game. Oh, no, we're coaching. going to. Yes. That is a must. Yeah. yeah no, we're going. I mean, that's like, and, and that's great that it's in Dallas. Uh, I mean, it's uh, now I haven't. Oh, they're going to have OU fans at every game. Oh God, yes. I mean, you know how many even OSU, OU, 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 OSU fans are in the Dallas area. People will attend this, uh, especially in a in a time where there's no NFL football. Uh, I mean, arena football died years ago. Uh, this is the new thing. People will attend this, and I, I can't imagine tickets will be, you know, maybe thirty to thirty dollars to get in. Right, it'll be it'll be cheap, and and this is going to be played at the current Rangers Stadium. They're about to move out pretty soon, though. That is a great ballpark. Uh, they'll they'll get rid of the baseball stuff of it, and turn it into a football stadium, and that'll be a great place to watch a football game. So, yeah, yeah, this... I mean, you can beat it, especially in like springtime. Yeah, well, I mean, the weather in Dallas will be great. Yeah, it'll be fun, no doubt about that. Um, before we uh, get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Uh, Tom, uh, I, I have no idea what the story even is. So we're about to find out and all be surprised here with uh, this uh, great news story. So wh- what do we have on tap this week? 
You know, this is coming from Fox News, and this is coming from Fort Collins, Colorado. Not sure if you've seen this story this week, Jones. Fort Collins is, uh, that's where the Air Force Base is, right? You are correct, and it is also a great party town. <laughs> that's another story for another day. Okay. But <laughs> this is probably my favorite story of the week. Um, not, not I wouldn't even call it Tom Fullery. We're going to make it Tom Fullery, but it's just more of the badass story of the week. Um, I like that too. You know, it's, it's it's kind of cool, and and I'm sure the guy post his injuries, we'll get to that. Is gonna, you know, this is one of those things you keep for the rest of your life, and that you, you know, the grandkids tell their grandkids about their grandpa that was such a badass. So, comes from Fort Collins, technically west of Fort Collins, and it and it starts off the the title is Colorado runner mauled by mountain lion, choked the mountain lion to death. So I'm not sure if you heard that, but a Colorado runner who was attacked by a mountain lion on a running trail, running trail Monday, pummeled by the animal with a rock before wrestling it to the ground and choking it to death. The runner's identity has not been released, but he is in his 30s, according to local media. He was treated for his injuries, including a facial bite wounds to facial bite wounds and lacerations to the body before being released Tuesday morning. He's expected to make a full recovery. Rebecca Rebecca Farrell, a spokeswoman for the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, called the runner's encounter with the mountain lion crazy but true. The victim was attacked from behind on West Ridge Trail in the Laramie County foothills during his run. The man was bitten on his face and wrist before he managed to pick up a rock and slam the animal on the head. He jumped on the animal's back and choked it to death with his hands, arms, and feet, Farrell said. Wildlife officials searched the trail where the runner said the attack occurred and found a down dead mountain lion near some possessions the runner had described. Officers estimated that the animal was less than a year old and weighed about 80 pounds. Rangers blocked off the site Tuesday because of the large presence of bystanders and media. State wildlife officials are expected to release more info about the runner's identity and the details of the, t- the attack later this week. Authorities said runner needs time to decompress and decide if he will speak out. Jones, I went to Colorado in August and I tried to hike Mount Elbert, the tallest mountain in Colorado and the tallest mountain all the way west until you reach the California area and there's a taller mountain. I was terrified before we went. I even took a machete uh, to somewhat protect myself because I was worried about a mountain lion. I was worried about a bear. This guy's running a trail, probably with some AirPods or some other shit in, not worried about it, gets attacked, doesn't think anything of it, and chokes this thing to death. Chokes it. Doesn't punch it. Doesn't shoot it. Doesn't pepper spray it. It doesn't get away. He kills it with his bare hands. That's, That's badass. a man. This might be Nick Offerman. It might be. It, it, it's it's almost better than Nick Offerman. It's like if Ron Swanson had a son. Ron Swanson move. Right? It is. This and is not a- only not only was he running. Now Nick you know, Nick Offerman, Ron Swanson wouldn't be necessarily running, but it was in a park. Parks and Rec. This is a Ron Swanson ordeal. This is the epitome of man. Man versus beast. He choked it. He didn't punch it. He didn't knock it out. He didn't shoot it. He didn't stab it. He choked it. Choked an 80-pound mountain lion to death. He ought to keep it. They better not take it away from him. All right. Yeah. That, that's got to be... 
on the on the wall on the mantle. Oh, I mean, can you? I mean, granted, it was less than a year old, and some mountain lions can get to like 150 pounds. But this thing stopped him. He's probably got you know most runners have earphones in or some music running on the trail. Thing comes up behind him, attacks him, doesn't panic, doesn't let it kill him. He gets up, slams a rock on its head, grabs it by on the back, chokes it out, kills it. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. That that is that is crazy, and you know just all the you know the will and the might to do that, to face that head on, and, and go through that. I, I applaud this guy for having the intestinal fortitude to, to handle that. I mean, about ninety nine percent of people would run away and either just try to you know escape from the mountain lion or just get killed by the mountain lion. This guy took it head on and and took him down like I, I applaud him for it you know i mean if he doesn't put that on the mantle then uh then he needs to eat that thing like one of the two like he's got a fire oh, and, reward, so. eat it and put it on the mantle perfect I even better my pain. wouldn't that be great could you imagine, I would, like i'm saying i took a machete had a weapon ready for any possible mountain lion encounters um just statistics on this whole thing uh mountain lion attacks are, are fairly rare uh, they, you know, they don't see uh, humans as food. I read into this at work uh, on a board day, read into it. And there's, I think what I read was there's only 16 mountain lion deaths since like 1900 that have actually happened. So they're fairly rare. Uh, but for this guy to, you know, not only face it, but to kill it with his bare hands, no other tools, to kill it, that's metal. I mean, we call it tomfoolery, but at the end of the day, this is metal. I mean, this guy, I mean, if, if that was my dad, you know, I'm proud of my dad. I'm proud of what he's done. But at the same time, if you're this kid's son, you got to be so proud. I would be talking about this in school left and right every time, every day. I would be hyped. I mean, not every day. You know, I, I, he's got to be one of the only people in the whole entire word, world to kill a mountain lion with his bare hands. Doesn't this make, like, everything else that we thought was manly and masculine and tough look, like, weak? Yeah. I mean, how in the world? I mean, I wonder how long he had to choke it out for before he was like, okay, it's dead. Like, how I mean, tough, I like, dead Tom, for at least five minutes. Like, Tom, you know, I mean, Tom's dad uh, does some noodling. And most people that do noodling think they're pretty badass. And that's, you know, it's not easy to do. And that's pretty risky, you know, with all, all the snakes and everything that are, that are right there in the water. You don't know what you're touching, you know. And um, this makes, like, noodling look like nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, and noodling's a sport, but uh, killing a mountain lion with your bare hands is some, like, Dwayne Johnson, Rock Johnson, Titan game stuff. Uh, even beyond that, I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, that was my biggest fear going in, even hiking a mountain in Colorado, was like, hey, we run into a mountain lion, we are screwed. Uh, Whether it be 80 pounds, 150 pounds, you run into a cat that's a lot quicker, a lot faster, and has a set of claws that can tear you to shreds. Not only only did this guy choke him out, but he suffered a facial bite. You get bit on the face by a mountain lion. Not only that, but scratched up with lacerations. Uh, I read somewhere else, it didn't say in the article, but the guy killed it, left it, drove himself to the hospital. 
what is uh, something, what is your limit, Tom, on something that you would kill with your bare hands? I mean, I would try. I mean, if you're put in that situation, if it's attacking you and you're, there's no one else around and it's not going away, uh, I, mean, I mean, I think the will of the human power and the will of the human being would kind of will you to at least try to kill it. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. What is your limit, you think, of something that you could kill with your bare hands? Like an animal? Yeah. Oh, see, that's tough. I haven't been... You know, I've been in the same cage as like a lion and tiger and a, and a white tiger, but nothing that I was going to think was going to hurt me. Uh, I mean, you see like Steve Irwin type of people like wrestle an alligator. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't wrestle an alligator or even think about attempting to choke out a mountain lion for probably any amount of money. It would have to be a situation where there was life or death, fight or flight. Uh, this guy could have ran, this guy could have dipped out and, and tried to, uh, you know, sway the experience encounter in a different way where he made himself bigger and tried to scare off the mountain lion. He very well could have. What, what uh, do you think with your physical strength is is something that you, what, what is your physical limit of something that you could kill with your bare hands? Uh, is my life in danger? Yes. See, I think that's different. I don't think you could. I don't think you can judge that until the time comes, because adrenaline is a very powerful thing, um, and I'm sure that guy was probably loaded with it. Could you imagine right. having, you know, being on your back, having a mountain lion, much in your lap with your hands wrapped around his throat, putting it in a sleeper chokehold? I mean, I, he had to choke the thing out. I bet it was dead for five minutes before he let it go. Right. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would be making sure the thing was dead, deader than a doorknob, before I would even think about letting it go. Right. I mean, maybe this guy has like a past in like jujitsu or like UFC or some type of like ground fighting. I think you would almost have to. Oh yeah, no choice. I mean, that's that's impressive. I'm that is. That is. That, that's quite the effort. Do you, we don't hear these stories every day. Uh, no. I don't think... I've never read a story where a guy killed a mountain lion with his bare hands. No. That's why it's Tom Fullery. Right. It takes some amazement to be a part of this segment, and this guy was just that in this case. And uh, more power to him for able to get this done. That's too cool. Tom, we got to get out of here today. Um, but before we do... I'm off to uh, Daytona next week uh, for the Daytona 500. We'll do the show from there, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being out there. I fly out Tuesday morning, and uh, I will be there in uh, Tuesday evening uh, from uh, Daytona. We'll do the show there and do several different things out there. But I, I'm so excited for this trip and, and to see all I'm that is. For you. Oh, th- this is a you dream. Know, instead of. Instead of myself going to Daytona, it's a girlfriend's birthday. I'm going to see Jake Owen and Dustin Lynch, the Osage Casino in Tulsa. So not as good as the Daytona. You know that you could uh, see Jake Owen in Daytona. He's the pre-race concert. Oh, is he really? Yes. Oh, well, there you go. Well, <laughs> tell him tell him hi, and then I'll see him in Tulsa in a week. Yeah, you, you missed out. You could have just seen him in Daytona, brought the girlfriend with you. But, you know, that's okay. Uh, but... I'm so excited about this and to see this firsthand. You know, this has been a bucket list item of mine uh, for a long time. I, I've said I need to find a way to get to Daytona. 
And I've heard from a number of people that this is the best sporting event in all of sports, uh, what this brings. And the access that we're going to have next week is going to be incredible. Uh, I'm looking forward to just being out there and being a part of it all. And it should be a great experience uh, being out there at Daytona. So it should be a good week. And I'm looking forward to bringing you guys a lot of great coverage out there. And, you know, of course, hitting up the beach. Here, here's my book, hey, Tom. It's Nolan again. And, and yes, good to see Nolan. That's right. Nolan's going with me. So uh, we'll have a good time. Uh, please pray for me, folks, uh, for having to put up with Nolan for <laughs> a, a week. I got to be with Nolan for six days out there. Lord help yeah, us all. Before you'll be like, okay, you can go back to Idaho. Right. After about the second day, you know, yeah, go back. Go go back to Idaho. And and, and he's such a NASCAR nerd, too. I don't know how I'm going to deal with him. He'll just geek out the entire time. Yeah, he'll, he'll is, fit right in with several of those people in the room, in the media room. Oh, he will. And, and not to mention that uh, this is Nolan's first ever NASCAR race, too. And no way. He's been to NASCAR. Say that again. Is that right? Say that again. I lost you there, Tim. No, I mean, this is his... He's been to a NASCAR race before, but just not media. No, he's never been to a, a NASCAR race. Wow. Okay, well, that is even more awesome for him. So his first race would be the Daytona 500. So that will be exciting. Yeah, that's not bad. No, not bad living at all. So we'll have a great time and uh, bring you guys some great interviews and such next week from the track. And uh, and we'll see what uh, what the week brings from uh, the World Center of Racing, Daytona International Speedway. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. So looking forward to it. Big thanks to NASCAR PR and such for having us out. And it uh, should be a, a good week from uh, Daytona Beach. But, yeah, it, it came by quick. When, when I decided I was going to go, I decided this back in October, uh, I thought, man, that's still a long ways out from now. And here we are. It's almost here. So should be fun. Tom, wish you were there, but we will have a good time without you. Uh, here's my big thing, Tom. Uh, th- this is the last thing I'll say, then we can leave. Is I- I'm actually, I-, I usually dread Valentine's Day. You know, it's not for me. But Valentine's Day, I-, I have no one that I'm seeing. And I'll be in Daytona Beach. Like, I have to go out on Valentine's night in Daytona and find all the single women, right? That's just a must. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're... You, uh, you're going to lose your Florida virginity down there, I think. That's one way to put it. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to put the odds on it. I'm going to put, as long as you don't become an article where it says Florida man, then I think you'll be all right. That would be a nightmare. If, if I become that, uh, then I might if never be the next week after that. We, you know, the next week after we do a man killing a mountain lion, I, I think you've probably done something crazy. That could be bad. Yeah, it could be something. But uh, hopefully I'm, uh, that's not me. Subscribe to the show. <laughs> It'll iTunes. be Nolan. Right. Could be Nolan. Very well could be. Uh, subscribe to the show. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Check us out on social media. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live. Uh, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. At Thomas underscore Bridges. At TJ Media Group. Follow us there. And we'll see you next week live from Daytona. For Thomas Bridges, I'm Tyler Jones. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you again next week. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.